2: all right well we're here to talk gardening uh aj is up first then it will be neil a couple of lines open you know the number grab one if you like 210-599-5555 and we will get started just as uh well i'll tell you what i don't uh let's just not even do a commercial right now let's just start with phone calls and uh you're up first aj good morning
3: good morning bob how is your day going
2: oh it's uh well the building was open i've got a a great supporting staff here and i'm in a in a fun place today so my my day is off to a good start uh haven't had any situations arise yet how is everything in your world
3: (laughs) oh it's fine right now it's it's breezy and, and cool uh so i guess it'll be all right got a question for you what's the uh easiest way to loosen up some
2: clay move to where you have sandier, looser, more open soil. <laughs> but uh, Now, where you are, A.J., um uh, you know, gypsum will actually do some good. It's a total waste of time in San Antonio because up here, our positive ion in the soil is all calcium. But you've got some sodium in the soil down there, so uh it will actually help you. The best long term the permanent solution to tight clay soils is to um, just build up the organic material in the soil and you do that uh, first of all as, uh, as the doctors say do no harm and you already know stay away from all that synthetic chemical stuff but uh, compost on the surface will soften the soil immensely dry molasses will build or liquid molasses will build that microbial activity and of course products like medina's Soil Activator, or Medina Plus, which is your soil activator with some liquid seaweed in it, these are things that also build soil activity. So that's the best way to permanently loosen that up uh what your what your especially your bacteria but what your soil microbes do is kind of separate all those clay particles out they hold them apart they build uh, a a something which is uh oh it's uh i think it's actually a polysaccharide the soil scientists just call it sticky material and uh this is what the bacteria builds it just opens up the clay lets your water get in lets your oxygen get in lets your roots grow better so uh the way that i would do it i would start out putting down uh some dry molasses i would then spread uh as much compost as i could afford on top of it from half an inch to a couple of inches then i would probably water it down with a soil activator and um, from there on just using something like garret juice periodically your soil is just going to get softer and softer uh i always cite my personal experience this has been quite a few years ago I was going to plant fruit trees this is we're talking maybe September or so and the soil in my garden was just black rock hard clay and uh, But everywhere I was going to plant a fruit tree, I put about a wheelbarrow load full of compost down. When I went back in January when the fruit trees came in, uh, that soil was so soft you could dig it with a spoon. It would have been like hitting it with a digging bar endlessly, trying to break into it before. But just a few months of compost on top of the soil with a little bit of rain on top of that, that is the fastest way not only to soften it but to keep it open and loose. So uh, dry molasses, compost, Medina Soil Activator garret juice uh, any or all of the above and almost any combination is going to turn that soil into a beautiful you know loose loamy soil instead of just that hard clay
3: all right okay because uh th- this is up in the austin area oh, and, okay uh, there, th- there's there's worms in the soil but the, yeah. it's real tight so that's what i figured is just putting the compost on top yep. and letting it uh, mature uh, let it do its thing
2: Right. Well, you can forget about gypsum in the Austin area. That's a total waste yeah. no, of time, no, even no, though. I, no,
3: I don't intend to use it.
2: No but to, uh,
3: or well, that'll that'll take care of my prop my situation today, Bobby.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> I hope you have a I hope you have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. And it's it's uh, always a pleasure to hear your voice at this nice quiet hour of the morning. Same to you, Bobby. See you later. All right, sir. Thanks, AJ. Thank you. Mm, bye. Certainly. Mm, bye. Okay, let's see what Neil is up to. Good morning, Neil. Hi, Bob. A long time no talk to Well, it's been a little while. Yes, it has. Uh, What's going on in your world?
4: Hey, you know, uh, uh, I was out there
2: uh, watering
4: the other day in my front yard. You know, it's mostly dirt. and uh, I put some Asian jasmine in, which is finally starting to grow. But I didn't fill up the whole yard. I just wanted to see if it took off. And it uh, it's doing all right, but uh, the problem with Asian jasmine in a bare area is that once it fills in completely, I have like seven oak trees in the front, and it mm-hmm. drops all its acorns and stuff, and and it starts sprouting up, and and you know it, and the problem is I'm 80 years old. And I'm trying to figure out an easy way to uh, to get some some kind of ground cover. And then the other day I was uh, when I was out there watering. Uh, a lady came by, She was walking by, and she lives in the neighborhood, and she said, you know, I had the same problem you do, but I no longer have that problem. I said, oh, great, what, what did you do? She said, I put some fescue grass in, and she says, it's growing like crazy, even in the shade. So I said, well, you know, I tried palmetto, and that doesn't uh-huh. work, so... Uh, um, I wanted to find out if if you actually know anything by shaded uh, seed for fescue.
2: Well, fescue. The big problem with fescue is, and they experimented with down at the botanical garden uh, to see how it did in some shady areas. Their number uh-huh. one problem is they had to water it three times a day to keep it alive in the summer months, and it doesn't like deep shade bright shade it will grow but we don't have the water that it takes to support fescue uh maybe that's fine when you get uh, over in east texas and places where we've got more moisture but uh okay. it's it's just i i wish it would work because it's it's a pretty grass but yeah. it just is not a real good grass for the hill country the the main problem with asian jasmine is just it's so slow the old saying is the first year it sleeps the second year it creeps and the third year it leaps and so it just seems like forever and then once it gets up to you know be a good size and it's not really any big deal I don't worry about the acorns I don't worry about the leaves and things blowing down and collecting in it uh, because you know you can spray a little liquid molasses or something on and even those old tough oak leaves are going to break down the acorns are not usually an issue when you see something spray Sprouting out there 99 percent of the time it's not an acre and it's a sprout coming off of the roots of the oak tree and the thicker and denser that uh that your ground cover gets the less uh you're going to have sprouting up like that so I to me and 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 I wish it were faster but Asian jasmine is just slow it's probably the most durable uh long-term ground cover now mm-hmm. there is another ground cover you could consider that is called vinca V I N C A uh and either vinca major or vinca minor uh are going to be um you know suitable to use they grow a lot faster the main problem with the vincas is that uh, occasionally they get this little caterpillar and you can just almost overnight i mean you leave town on friday to go somewhere and you got beautiful ground cover and you come back on monday morning and all you've got is stems because these blasted little caterpillars just eat the leaves so quickly but vinca will cover will give you a nice ground cover probably in a single season uh so that's that's another thing to look at. Long term, though, it's just hard to beat the old Asiatic jasmine. It's it's common because it works so well.
4: Yeah, I, I that palmetto. I was kind of disappointed. You know, I did everything right on it. I sprayed the back of it with water. I scratched mm-hmm. up the earth and I put it down. I rolled it. You know, and I, every I, I only got ten pieces to try out. You know, yeah, uh, because it's so darn expensive and I had it special ordered. Right. So when it, I told the fellow when it came in call me right away I'll come pick it up. So it wasn't old grass. Yeah. So yeah. There's so, uh,
2: there's sometimes it's just too shady even. Palmetto is probably our most shade tolerant grass, palmetto and uh Delmar, but uh, these big old beautiful oaks that uh given given 100 years or so to grow, they yeah. just get so big and thick that there is just nothing uh in the way of a grass that'll grow underneath them i mean you know my ranch uh, up in the hill country when i walk around where there's dense shade uh there's virtually nothing on the ground there are a couple of sedges that kind of hang in there and give you a little green and we've got some um, oh a few uh things like some of the buckeyes and things like that sprout up and grow but uh it's just it's just dense shade there's not a whole lot that does well here we're just real limited in our choices
4: yeah, you know, being retired and in, uh, in my eighties, I'm I'm kind of limited on what I can spend on it. I figured I was going to bring in some compost, you know, put that uh-huh. down. But it, it, they wanted for twelve hundred square feet, they wanted uh, uh, over a thousand dollars just for the compost.
2: Yeah, That's spend a, spend your money on good organic fertilizer. You know, Medina or Nature's yeah, Creation or yeah, uh, and uh, go ahead. And you know if. If you feel like I mean compost would be good, but you 're right it's expensive, and uh, it's you know even more so if you have to get bring some labor in to spread it around okay. that's uh, so you can really increase the microbial life in the soil with compost tea, which you either make yourself or okay. i don't know we do it for yeah, like six dollars that. a gallon or something like right. that but um, At this point, uh you'll probably want to plant the four-inch pots of Asiatic jasmine because they are certainly the least expensive form. And uh-huh. then you just have to develop some patience. And after 80 years, I'm sure you're very familiar with having to be patient for things. And so, uh uh you know, we, we want something that's going to last you for the next 20 years at least. And after that, you can decide what you want to do if you want to do anything different.
4: Yeah, that vinca major and minor, will that uh, do well uh, among the uh, uh, Asian jasmine?
2: It's eventually one or the other is going to dominate. Uh, The the vincas get a little bit thicker. They're going to make a stand. Uh, My grandfather had a huge area of uh, vinca major, you know, in his large backyard. And it would get probably 10 to 12 inches high whereas okay. your asian jasmine for the first five years it's it's not going to get over really two or three inches high so they don't really blend well together but um it just if you say hey i don't want to wait i want something that's going to be full and totally covering the ground by this time okay. next year i have to tell you one of the vincas would be more likely to do that than the asian jasmine would
4: okay how, how does it uh, how does it go with uh, uh, when you uh, cut the grass does
2: it uh, cut well uh no you would pretty okay. much want to just leave it alone okay. but uh as, as you've discovered you're not going to have any grass underneath that tree anyway so yeah, that shouldn't great. be too much of an issue
4: yeah okay bob i think oh you know uh, they, i had a set sumer uh that we talked about a long time ago and you said yeah. to call you back uh after i tr- cut it back severely and that uh it never made it
2: Well, that's... I had
4: it in the outside pot, you know, or one of those big 30-gallon pots or whatever, 20-gallon pots in So it never did make it. I put it in the full sun. I moved it into the full sun, hoping it'll come out back out, but it never did.
2: Well, they get uh, like everything else. They sometimes go down to the point that they're just they just don't come back. But uh, if you start out out in the sun, uh, Satsuma is our most reliable citrus here because it is the most cold hardy.
4: So you you think I should uh, take that one out and replant? What would I replant it with?
2: Gosh, that depends on, you know, what you want to grow. If you're looking for something that will produce edible fruit, by far the easiest thing that you can grow is a fig. I mean, if you can water a fig, well, a fig tree's going to. Gonna... Yeah. My, my wife doesn't like fish, so. That's <laughs> okay. Not... Well, you might try, you might try another Satsuma, and okay, like we'll, I say, we'll um, Miho and Sito are probably the two. Yeah, S-E-T-O or M-I-H-O. Those are probably um, two of the best of the best that uh, just normally do extremely well here. But they do need to start out out in the sun. They need to stay in the sun. As long as you watch your watering, very little ever goes wrong with them.
4: Okay, great, Bob. Uh, you know, you you always amaze me on how much information you have. Thanks a lot. I really oh. appreciate it.
2: Well, it's my great pleasure, and like I've said before, I started my grandfather's flower shop and greenhouse when I was like five years old, so uh-huh. I'm not quite as far along the chronological chart as you are, but... Uh, and I've got a weird brain. Things related to plants <laughs> stick in my mind, and everything else goes in one ear and out the other. So hey, I went through
4: your book the other day. It was uh, I got a lot of info, good information
2: out of that uh, it's There's a lot of it that's still applicable. That was in the yeah. day before we knew about organics, so skip right, that correct. section on maintenance. But everything about the plants is, I think, just yeah, as yeah, valid today as it was leaves, when we did it. What's leaves that?
4: Leaves with the trees, you know. That yeah. That was great. I really enjoyed that. And now well, I can see which tree, or what type of tree I have just by looking at the leaves. That was great. I really appreciate that.
2: Well, I appreciate the compliment. You get out and have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend.
4: Okay, Bob. Thanks Thank for Thank you so oh, yeah, much.
2: Bye. Oh, it's my pleasure always. Thank you. Okay. Bye. All right. Uh, we've got Suzanne waiting. Let's go there next. Good morning, Suzanne. Good
5: morning, Bob. How
2: are you today? Oh, it's just the day is off to a good start. The Festival of Flowers is a wonderful event, and uh, Memorial Day is, uh, you know, a very important time that we remember all of those people who made it possible for us to go to the lake or go to the nursery or go wherever we want to go, and I just hope everybody uh, remembers that uh, we are commemorating something very, very important on Memorial Day. Yes, indeed, we
5: are. Bob, I have a question about leaks today. Okay. Um, I haven't grown leeks in many a year, and I've never grown them in Texas. I've grown uh-huh. them in Indiana. Um, I've already I planted seed October, I think.
2: You planted and I seed.
5: Some, seed, yeah. And okay. I, I managed to managed to get some. We had two of them at the table last week. Uh uh-huh. Question is about the skates. Uh, I have one that has uh, flowered, and. I know with onions, if you cut the flowers off, you get more bulb. Should I do that to my leeks when they bloom? Well, I'm beautiful. I want to dry it. Oh,
2: yeah yeah it's uh they they're alliums just as the onions are it really once the plant has decided to flower uh the bulb that you get it doesn't really seem to make any difference uh you know between uh whether it's an onion or whether it's a leek. they're not going to grow a whole lot more after they after they start flowering at this point um by the time the flowers go the plant is going to basically be starting to uh you know die back so I would uh at whatever point I would just harvest it, enjoy it, some good old potato and leek soup or whatever. But once they've started flowering, enjoy the flowers. You can you can dry the blooms. They will dry fairly well. But uh basically we just um I, I'm glad you did okay from seed. Most people don't have a lot of success uh growing leeks from seed. We normally plant them as little plants, uh just like we do onions. And they are a little later coming on the market. It's typically December before you'll see the little bunches of plants come up. So, uh, if you enjoy leeks, um, you can certainly, if you want to plant some seed early, uh, that's fine. But if you want to grow a really good stand of leeks, go out and buy a bunch. They're usually about 40 or 50 plants to a bunch for a couple of dollars. And, uh, you can grow beautiful leeks here, but they're, they're strictly cool weather. This time of year, when they start to bloom, they're pretty much ending their life cycle
5: oh that was my second question so i'm not going to be able to carry any of these over until fall they're just going to burn up
2: they're just going to burn out in the texas heat just like onions do I, I mean, sometimes, like every now and then, I will miss a little bitty onion. I've it's been. I'm like you. I've I've grown leeks, but it's been three or four years since I planted them, and uh I've even if I've missed some of the small ones in harvesting them, I've never had them uh, come back in for a second season.
5: Okay, second question is what can I still seed out vegetable wise in my garden? And I don't want to grow okra, so anything better
2: than okra. Well, you can certainly plant some more bush beans. Uh, You can plant, I planted black eyed peas uh, not too long ago and they were up and growing in three days. You can certainly plant cucumbers. You can plant squash. Um, melons, you're gonna have to work a little bit hard at watering, but I suspect you'd do okay if you went ahead and planted a few more cantaloupe or watermelons, either one. But, uh, the, the main things, uh, will be beans, uh, squash, cucumbers. Uh, hopefully we'll start seeing tomato plants a little bit earlier. I like to try to get fall tomatoes in, in mid to late June, although, uh, because um, the Extension Service doesn't like planting them that early. You usually don't start seeing very many of the plants in the nurseries until mid-July. But if you want to start some tomatoes from seed, if you grow le- leeks from seed, you can grow tomatoes from seed, and uh, you'll have, I would not start them directly in the ground in the garden, but you can certainly uh, start them out and have some nice little transplants to plant as soon as they're up and have two or three true leaves on them.
5: Okay, I tried that last year, but my, I have a with I have a propagating mat so I can get my my soil the right temperature inside, but Excellent. My, my, my light isn't adequate, so I well, can't you... really grow good plants
2: yeah what you need right to now. do is just just get them germinated, and literally, as soon as they're up and have any leaves on them at all, move them outside. Uh, that's my plans for this summer. I have my new greenhouse I've built over the past year. that's where I, where I will start the seed, but the stone patio that I put out front that's where those little seedlings will go just as soon as they sprout and start up because, as you have observed you you have to have good, strong light in order to produce a good stocky plant.
5: Okay, and as far as the squash that I can still plant, does it make any difference whether it's a summer or winter squash?
2: right now you can grow both uh what we call winter squash of course is just a squash that takes much longer to grow and produce uh but you can plant both you certainly will get more production from your summer squash because they're going to produce in 30 days or you know around that time whereas your winter squashes depending on varieties can be 60 to 100 days but uh, considering how late cold weather usually comes here uh shouldn't be a problem at all
6: right
5: i was just um, all i'm concerned about is that scorching heat that we're. i know we're.
2: Into. <laughs> well you provide the water to them and uh they will take it they may not be the most beautiful things in the world but we don't eat the leaves we only eat the blooms and the produce <laughs> that's
5: true
2: thanks a lot thanks for your advice oh it's always a pleasure suzanne you have a wonderful weekend we'll talk again soon all right well let's just get back to the phone lines and see what james is up to this morning good morning james morning bob how you doing oh you know it's just festival fires it's just always a fun event so something i look forward to and uh we only close seven days a year and one of them is memorial day so i look forward to uh to a day off this week to go out and celebrate our freedoms
7: well, that's great, man. I heard you talking about those bald eagles, and, and you can send one over here because i got a <laughs> few cats that need to be thinned out.
2: Well, as soon as they get through thinning out my rock squirrels, but I think that's going to be a pretty big uh, pretty big full-time job for them for a while.
7: Well, I'd like to see a herd of them come down. Hey, uh, I'm getting uneven ripening on some of my tomatoes, and the big boys say that might be uh, not enough potassium, but I don't know.
2: I've never seen a soil in this area that was not really 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 high in potassium. I mean potassium in pretty much all of our soils is just off the charts. So I'm going to tell you I think it has a lot more to do with weather and the stage yeah. the tomatoes were when it either got a little bit cooler than usual or a little bit warmer than usual. So uh it just means you have to be a little more selective in your picking to Get that uh, that great vine-ripened produce that you offer to all the good people of Marion, and anybody wants to come out that way. But I I really don't see it as a potassium problem, James. I, I well, I don't really see it as a problem. It's just an issue that makes your job a little tougher.
7: Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, the the guys that do the you know the indoors tomatoes, they they've got to uh, give everything an IV. So that's that's where all that research comes from but oh I yeah affected weather have you got your uh, fall tomatoes started yet
2: that's on my list to do this week i had planned to get it done this past week and uh, shall we just say, as they say events conspired? I just keep running out of daylight before uh, uh I run out of things to do, and my my order of priorities was such that uh uh that seeding tomatoes was next thing on the list, so that's probably what will happen on Tuesday in my greenhouse
7: oh that's great. I just was wondering if i'm i'm about you know getting getting going about the same time you uh professionals are getting going
2: well i think you're when it comes to growing stuff i i may be a professional in the business of merchandising plants and related material but you're about as professional a grower as i know so uh, uh yeah i just i i don't like you know the extension service is always pushing wait till the middle of july and unfortunately that's where a lot of the big growers start trying to have their transplants ready about then but uh kind of almost by accident there've been a couple of times that i've had nice plants to set out you know about the third week of june and those plants have far far surpassed uh anything that i wait till the middle of july to put out i think it's uh i, I think we need to move that date back about 30 days if we can get it going what what's your experience
7: yeah um if i get in too late then i've got to take the shade cloth off and put the uh the uh plastic back on the hoop house and it's you know they're running out of
2: light and they really don't want to perform yeah yeah well what else is going on in your world are you getting i know you've got those early girls who are producing like mad and uh um other things coming on about like you expected other than the uneven ripening
7: yeah, everything's doing fine. It looks like the contest tomatoes are probably going to have to come in a little bit green this year. Uh, it's just nothing's nothing's doing like it did in years uh, years before because uh, of the cloudiness and mm-hmm. the coolness. Yeah, you know we're I, I'd say we're two or three weeks behind uh, a normal year, whatever that is
2: yeah that's why i always say typical i I don't think normal is a word that really applies to just about anything when it comes to texas weather but i'll tell you in my garden things are catching up i've Oh, whether it's tomatoes or peppers or eggplants, uh, they've grown more for me in the past two weeks than they grew in the previous two months. They're just, they're just really, I think they sit there while the, you know, we weren't getting as much sun when the days were cooler. I think we're still getting some pretty good root growth because, uh, at least over my part of the world, since we are getting to sunnier and hotter weather, things are just really exploding into growth.
7: The watermelons are starting to run, so that's always a, a good thing. The vines are starting to uh, take off. I've got a—I uh, think I got a little skunk out here wanting to dig in my raised beds, and <laughs> I don't blame him. I, I like to dig in them too. Um, that little stinker—I uh, think literally' blood meal will keep him out, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, blood meal will will run them off. Uh better than anything that i have found we use it in pots all the time the problem is when you've got so much uh area out there it'd take an awful lot of blood meal at least likely just to go over the next bed and start digging so i'm afraid that you know i if it were me i'd have a live trap out and be relocating that fella to somewhere where he's not going to uh, uh be quite such an issue for me i'll put it that way
7: He's eating all the june bugs, Bob.
2: Well, that's a good thing. He's also eating all the earthworms. You know, the skunks are just real omnivores. They're going to eat anything they can manage to catch. And, uh, um, uh, yeah, they, they definitely do some good. But uh, since I have uh, puppy dogs and things like that, I, I'm not real anxious to see them around my yard.
7: Well, I've got a trap out there. I guess I'll have to catch that little stinker. Uh dad it Any, anyway we're having fun out here at the farm the zariah hybrid sunflowers are starting to uh, uh ready for cutting i'm cutting a bucket full every every morning to take you down to the roadside stand so that's a lot of fun too it's
2: uh, oh yeah it's now you,
7: called you
2: do uh do you set up right there on 78 how do people find you when they're out around Marion
7: well you know if you blink your eyes you miss. Marion. Uh, that's true. Uh, it's just right across from the bank.
2: Okay. Very good. We're going to talk to Lois and uh, Bernadette and Diane and Juan. So, Lois, good morning. Hello. Good morning. I hear you fine.
6: Hi, Bob. Listen, I have family that lives in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and they're just about at their wits' end trying to get rid of buffalo gnats. Do you know what those are?
2: I know a lot of gnats. I'm not really familiar with that particular one. Are these uh, uh, just they've embedded their landscape and made it impossible to sit out and enjoy being outside? Yes. Or
6: Yes. And, you know, when you Google it online, everything refers you to black fly.
2: Yeah, um, a totally different thing.
6: But they're, oh, they're just... They're horrible. I mean, they're just getting eaten up. And so aside from making some kind of a topical spray that's pretty natural, Mm -hmm. I was just, I told them I would call you and see if there's anything we could spray the yard with.
2: Do they, tell me about them, many gnats now breed in the soil. The ones we see here indoors, we have a fungus gnat that a lot of times breeds in the soil in houseplants and things. Do these breed and come out of the soil in the yard? Is that their life cycle? I don't think they know. Okay. I don't think they
6: know. It's just that they cannot be outside, and they're causing whelps, you know, I mean, just horrible you know and they've tried using a lot of different things on their skin because my brother-in-law does a lot of gardening and landscaping and things like that and i don't know that they've actually seen them like as a obvious problem on the plants themselves but anyway
2: no they're they're you know they're pretty much beyond a nuisance. They are just uh that kind of thing just just really spoils your outdoor experience i would there are two things that I think would have the potential to help um first thing as a general repellent, see if they can find any cedar oil or if not if they can locate it online. Uh, our friends at nature's creation have come out with a uh, new product they call Cedar Repel, and uh, it's already in what they call an RTS, a ready-to-spray uh, thing that you just hook up on the hose and go spray. We have found that this controls chiggers. It is great at running off mosquitoes, at least temporarily. And most outdoor flies and biting creatures simply do not like cedar. Now, if they're buying just a liquid concentrate, you're going to dilute it down to about between 1% and 2 tablespoons per gallon but they may be able to find at their nurseries up there find a product like uh, this nature's creation that comes in a little sprayer that's all ready to put on the hose and go out and spray and that is that should do a pretty good job of keeping these out of the yard although you know they will have to repeat the spray fairly frequently the other thing is they most certainly can find a product that we know as BTI, the acronym BTI, the initial stand for Bacillus thuringiensis israeliensis, and that's why they call it BTI, but it is most widely used because it kills mosquito larvae. But we find that with the the gnats that breed in the soil of house plants, it's very effective at killing the larvae of those gnats as well. So, uh, not an expensive product at all. They might consider uh, just spraying the yard with B T I. Here, it's usually sold uh, in the form of mosquito bits or mosquito dunks, which you would then take, soak in water, and spray. They might actually be able to find it as a liquid, but I would spray the yard with that, and uh, that doesn't do anything about the uh, the things that fly in from surrounding areas, but it certainly right. would help in reducing the overall number of things that they have to deal with. But I, I think for... The best thing that they can spray around the yard to run things off, it's going to be one of the cedar oil products. And as far as a personal repellent, you might want to tell them to look around for a lemon oil and eucalyptus product. Uh, we like one by a company called Murphy's Naturals, and this stuff is totally deep-free. But I tell you what, it... uh it is very, very effective in repelling mosquitoes and keeping chiggers away. Uh, I would talk about cactus juice, which is what we use a lot of here, but I'm virtually certain they're not going to be able to find that in Missouri. But uh, if they would look for a product that contains uh, eucalyptus and lemon oil, uh, and the brand is Murphy's, M-U-R-P-H-Y-S, Murphy's Naturals, I think they okay. would find that that is a really good repellent, really easy on your skin, and very, very effective I find it lasts when you put it on four or five hours at least, so uh even if uh even if he's working outside, uh it wouldn't be more than a couple of times a day and need to reapply it. It's very cooling to the skin. I mean on a hot afternoon you just I just spray it on my arms and then I'll spray some of the palms of my hands and you know, rub on the back of my neck and other places that those uh mosquitoes like to come and cause you misery. But uh that's that's something I would consider looking at as a personal repellent. But uh like I say I think any cedar oil product's gonna be Vesting spray around the yard.
6: And the Murphy's naturals, can you buy that locally here?
2: I know that there are a number of people that carry it. We keep it at Shades of okay. Green. Um, in fact, okay. just got a new shipment of it last week. But uh, yes. it's it's uh it, it's uh, again. I love cactus juice, but that's a Texas product that uh, you're not going to find across a lot of the country. Murphy's Naturals. I uh, I think the company that makes that. We see them at the Atlanta Gift Market. So I think that's going to be pretty much available nationwide if they look around.
6: Okay all right well thank you so very much
2: you are certainly welcome you have a wonderful weekend and we will move to line three and say good morning to bernadette good morning good
8: morning morning, bob i really enjoy your program
2: Ah, i appreciate that
8: i have questions about flowers and then one other Uh, recently you had somebody call in about a randine or a randune vine creeper
2: rangoon creeper yes
8: Okay, can you educate me on that because that sounds like something I might be interested in and, um, like, yeah it, like it is look, a go ahead. sorry
2: it it is a wonderful perennial vine, it is very vigorous, it grows quickly it grows thick. Um It makes, you know, it needs an arbor or a fence or a trellis or something to grow on. But uh, my business partner grows it. She has a little arbor coming into one of the three gates into her front garden. And it grows up and over the top. It's a beautiful green vine. And then by early summer, it starts blooming. The blooms come out in big clusters. They are extremely fragrant. And I've seen she has like one plant on each side of this arbor growing up and between those two plants i've seen times when i know there were 50 60 maybe even 100 clusters of flowers on it it freezes to the ground in the winter months now she lives north of bergheim so she's pretty far up in the hill country and yet i've never seen a winter cold enough that it didn't come back it just uh sprouts out it's i was uh over uh, on her and her husband's ranch about two days ago and it's pretty close to the top of that seven-foot arbor and uh, uh, so it it returns very quickly in the spring. I can't say I've ever seen an insect problem on it. It's just, it's just a very care- carefree vine. It wants a lot of sun and this is absolute out in the full hot blistering sun and it just loves it. So uh, I like Rangoon Creeper very, very well.
8: Okay, so and the wintertime, it turns brown. Do you, uh, cut it back or? Yeah, does it we, come we right
2: back? Yeah, uh, just, just cut it off at ground level. It's so full and bushy, you will want to cut it down. Same way you would have Queen's Crown or many of our other perennial vines that freeze down and come back. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a lot of work. It doesn't, uh, um doesn't attach itself real firmly to things. It grows by just wrapping around. So it's not, not much work to get down the frozen vines in the fall.
8: Does it take a lot of water?
2: Not an abnormal amount. Uh, It's going to be pretty much like any other shrub or perennial that you would have out there. If we don't have rain, you probably need to water it every week or 10 days.
8: Okay. So what is the fragrance like? I want to compare (laughs) it to uh, Sweet Almond Verbena, which I have, and I love the fragrance. Is it anything like that?
2: It's not quite as, golly, I'm, it's, you know... I know there's a science of, uh, different, um olfactory agents, so to speak. It's a little different. It is a sweet fragrance. It's not, it's not a jasmine fragrance. I always think of, uh, things like, uh, oh, your different, uh, oh, Grand Duke jasmine or gardenias or, um, uh, confederate jasmine things like that it's not exactly that fragrance it was yeah i would compare it more to the fragrance of a passion vine or something like that but it is a very pleasing sweet smell it's not overdone it's not sickeningly sweet uh it's just i don't know they're, they're just a wonderful plant they're beautiful to look at the fragrance is wonderful and they're very very trouble-free
8: so what color are the blooms?
2: They change colors over a three-day period, from almost a uh, oh a deep mahogany maroon color to kind of a pinkish uh, color. But they're they're in that red mahogany range uh, when you look at them. That's the color you're going to see.
8: Would this be good in a place where nobody lives, uh, other than occasionally? Can you plant that from a seed or a plant and just let it grow on its own?
2: As long as it gets occasional water, it would do just fine. But, you know, Texas, we're somewhere always between a drought and a flood. So in droughty times, you're very definitely going to have to water it. But it needs really no care or attention. Like I say, I've never seen an insect problem on it or anything like that. So uh it should be... It should be very maintenance-free, but it will need occasional watering. Once it's established, it's not going to be, you know, any real, really any different from growing salvias or something like that. But uh, and you do plant it from plants. Uh, I've never seen seed available for it. But other than occasional water, it certainly looks after itself.
8: Okay. What about the Persian shield? Does it take a lot of
2: sun? No. Persian shield is a shade-loving plant. Uh, it uh, will take a little morning sun, but hot afternoon sun would burn it.
8: Okay. And you've also had somebody call in about um, a white butterfly ginger. Mm -hmm. Can you give me more information about that? I like fragrant plants. Now, how tall does it get?
2: The white butterfly ginger is going to grow somewhere between three and five feet in height. On average, I'd say it's four, four and a half feet tall. Produces shoots of uh, white flowers up on the top. it grows up you know with individual canes, uh, much like many of your gingers do. tends to bloom mid to late summer um, white flowers they they grow in sort of a spike that will be on top of the growths. Uh, and, again, they are very fragrant. They don't have a super long blooming period, but there will be a period of several weeks in the summer uh, that they will be in bloom and very fragrant. Now, they're going to freeze to the ground, but, once again, they always seem to come back uh, They're also. And and the white ginger, they will do with half-day sun. They will tolerate full sun, uh, but they are one that you can grow in a little bit of shade and still get some nice fragrant blooms on.
8: Okay. I have a problem with a neighbor's tree. Uh, bringing up shoots into my yard, which I don't want. And I'm thinking of putting some doosal on it, but I don't want to ruin my my good dirt. And I yeah. think I've heard you say that uh, molasses will clean up the is that? It
2: will, but that's, I'm afraid that's not something I'd really recommend in your yard. That's something we'd do more out on ranch land or things like that. Uh, what sort of tree is it that you have uh, the sprouts coming up in your yard?
8: I don't know what it is. he's already gotten rid of it, but not before it came out into our yard. it's okay. got thorns on it, and it did grow up to be a pretty good, mature tree, maybe 20, 30 foot, when it was still there, mm-hmm. and, and it just you know comes underneath and uh, like, like the, the, the shoots from oak trees, and right. but they get much, much bigger, and they've got thorns on them, and okay. I just don't want it. So what can well. I do?
2: I'm afraid that the best thing to do, if the big tree is gone, it, it will eventually die out. Things will stop coming off the roots, but probably going to be out there with a grub and hoe. And uh the thing, the sprouts that come up off of existing roots takes them a while to really make a root system of their own. So it takes a little bit of strength, a little bit of work, but I'm afraid a grub and hoe is going to be the best way to get rid of them. Good news is that if the big parent tree so to speak is gone it's going to stop sprouting up
8: okay back to the randune. um does it work if i put it into a pot next to a trellis area or does it have to be on the ground
2: it will grow either way, but now when you put something in a pot and you limit its area to spread its roots out, you may be watering daily in the hot summer months or every other day. If you're home to do that, that's fine. There are a lot less maintenance in the ground just because it can spread the roots out over a much larger area.
8: Oh, okay. All right. Well, I really thank you for all your help and um, enjoy your program. You have a great weekend.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it, Bernadette. Thank you very much. Thank bye. You, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Bye all right back to gardening we're gonna to talk to diane and elroy and richard and don so let's head over Way and say good morning diane how are you today i'm good bob how are you doing you know just life is good monsanto's getting hit harder and harder all the time i just there there are a few good things happening in the world
9: couldn't happen to a better person
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, how's everything in your world It is good, but I've got a a few issues this
9: morning. I've been collecting questions, so I have three questions. I'll try to make them quick so other people can get on. My dad has a Satsuma orange, which he's continued to put in bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger pots, and now he's getting old, and it's getting harder to take care of all of the giant pots that he has. And they keep begging me to take this orange, but I'm like, I I can't afford to dig a hole that big. I don't know how to even transport it because it's in such a huge pot can i bare root that
2: i wouldn't do it at this time of year you could bare root it um and but this is something i would do in the cooler months how far away does he live diane
9: a mile and a half
2: oh gosh i didn't know you had family that close (laughs) uh the the deal with just about any woody plant is the root system cannot dry out. It needs to come out of the ground and be replanted very, very quickly. Even for that short ride, you're going to roll it up in a wet sheet or blanket or burlap or something like that. How thick through in diameter is the trunk? And how how big in diameter would you say the container is that it's in now is?
9: The container, like if you measured from one side to the other... Three and a half feet, four feet. Okay.
2: Okay. So we're looking at something weighs 200 pounds at least. Yes. Okay.
9: I'm yeah. warning him not to do that. I'm like, just feed it more.
2: Well, you know, it's going to be heavy, even bare root. uh You and John are going to need a couple of, you know, strong young backs to help you manage that, even if you were to bare root it. Fortunately, in Seguin, you can dig a hole. Um, the option if there was any way to get it up on a trailer uh to get it to you even in that container what i would suggest doing and i've never seen your property your home or anything but uh something that we've done both by accident and back by design is to uh sort of in effect turn it over cut the bottom out of the pot build up uh in effect a raised bed around it it doesn't have to be planted down into the ground in fact if you left it in the pot that it was in and simply cut the bottom out of the pot and let it start rooting down into the ground that would very much simplify the maintenance of it would take the effort away from trying to get it out of that pot digging a huge hole wrestling it into the hole um if it's me i'm going to find somebody that can help me with a bucket on a skid steer or tractor or something like that get it up on a trailer slide it off that trailer wherever you can and like i say just dump it over cut the bottom out of the pot and uh and let it grow that way that that to me would be a lot less work than trying to bare root it and transport it and dig a big hole
9: yeah yeah that's a good idea now would it be okay to do that in the summer, or would you wait till the fall to do no, that? No, no. <laughs> you,
2: you do that whenever you can round up the help to do it.
9: Okay. Okay. The next thing I have a couple of loquats that I planted to block the creepy neighbor's view mm-hmm. into my yard. Right. And they have been so hugely successful that they're now getting to where the lower part's not as bushy as I need it. Like they've got uh-huh. so big. Is there anything I can do if I cut the tops off a little? Will that make the bottom get bushy again? Well,
2: one of the big misconceptions is that cutting the top forces a plant to redirect its energy. Um, the, The truth of the matter is that the plant will form leaves anywhere they get enough light, and if you know if this is a huge full thick plant to where you don't have much light down at ground level nothing you do is really going to make the plant thicken up so um, it might help to cut it back it might help to thin it out it may mean that you just need to go in and plant a second tier of plants in front of it to fill in that lower three or four feet Uh, but simply cutting the top back unless you have substantially change the canopy of that plant if it's not getting light down low it's not going to fill in down low
9: okay so if I thin out like in the middle Mm -hmm. so sun can get down lower would be better
2: that would be my opinion
9: okay okay keep
2: everything else you're doing going I mean loquats love lots of water lots of fertilizer and as you well know (laughs) you know they grow very very vigorously to say the least
9: oh yeah they're amazing Okay, yeah. my last question. My parents live in a garden home, like tiny, and they have a patio. The wall of the neighbor's house is the where they have a planter. Mm-hmm. Their little backyard tiled. There's it's hot. You know what I mean? Okay. It's all yeah. hard surface. There's the brick wall with the brick planter up against it and a tiled patio. And it is in it's full sun. Okay. So a landscaper came in and put in some what he called dripping roses. Does that? Okay. T- they're supposed to kind of flow over the edge. They're, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. They're a sm- Trust me, I'm oh, not happy. They're a smallish rose, right. and they were supposed to be the same color, and two of them are, and one of them isn't, and now they have, I think, spider mites. Okay. So I don't think this is a good place for those guys, first of
2: well, all. Well, you know, anywhere that you have limited air circulation, anywhere you have a lot of heat, um, it's it's the lack of air circulation more than anything else. And you can control the spider mites with liquid seaweed and things, but it's just going to be an ongoing issue. And I, I would be replacing them... Golly, there's so many choices. Uh, some of the evergreen salvias, uh, they lantana. Want some,
9: they want here's what they want. That's what I was going with. Replace it. They there's already some lantana in the bed, so we don't mm-hmm. want more of that. They want something that's um, not seasonal. That just will be in there for you know till they die. Which, you know, could be any time. Um, <laughs>
2: We're not going to go down that road right now. <laughs> something
9: with she wanted something with color. Okay. And and he has this handful of go to's that I'm like, okay, Lowquat, Skullcap, and Lantana. That's his choices. So
2: Okay. Well Skullcap is one of the things I was going to mention because, you know, they bloom eight, ten months out of the year, they like the sun, they don't mind the heat. Uh and again they're evergreen. They'd be pretty you know, pretty much year round in an area like that. Um uh, other flowering things, oh, golly. uh, golly, You know, salvia gregii, of course, is one of the evergreen salvias. Uh, I have in a portion of my yard, I have uh, a combination of the hot pink salvia gregii and the bright pink skullcap at the base, and that's a gorgeous combination. The skullcap kind of spills over, you know, the wall. This is going up my driveway where it's low on one side and ground level on the other. But that combination of uh, salvia gregii and pink skullcap, that's got flowers on it, probably eight nine months out of the year and i water it four or five times a year whether it needs it or not
9: okay now the is this do you all have some of this salvia at the nursery
2: You know, inventory changes on a minute-by-minute basis. Normally, we keep plenty of it in stock, but we'll have one person come in and buy everything we have. But yesterday, there was some pink salvia gregii out there, and um, I would just say if you're making the drive for that specific purpose, call first and let us set it aside for you.
9: I'll be there at the Pearl Farmer's Market (coughs) buying my organic non-GMO veggies this morning hopefully your listeners will be there too. Um, so,
2: I hope so as well. So I
9: was going to I was going to stop by and get some pictures and then I know I can get stuff ordered. Any other suggestions off the top of your head?
2: Um, uh plumbago. You know, this sounds like a pretty protected area where it's not going to freeze often, but uh both the blue and the white plumbago would be very pretty in a place like that. Um, Gerber daisies, that's a little bit more work, and they do have a few more related issues. There are a number of uh, oh, other beautiful things. Uh, oh, gosh, what is uh, trying to think of the name? The uh, uh, scabiosa, uh, both blue and pink. Scabiosa is mostly evergreen. Salvia, the so-called meadow sage, salvia nemorosa, I believe it is, is usually evergreen. And uh, those are all things that would bloom over a long period of time out there.
9: Okay. How do you spell greggy I.
2: G R E G G I I.
9: Okay. Well, I wasn't really close. <laughs> 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 okay, Bob, I will be by the shop later on this morning, and I don't know if you'll be there, but if you are, that'll be great. I'll
2: be here Festival of Flowers for a little while, but I anticipate I'll be back over there at 1030 or so, so I hope we get to see you. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you, Diane. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, well, let's get back to the phone lines, and Elroy is up first. Good morning, Elroy. Morning. Morning, sir.
10: Yeah, I've got a question on, uh, you know, uh, we had about three and three-quarters inches of rain real hard. Yes, sir. And I had put cornmeal out on my tomatoes. Do I need to put some more out? And another question that goes hand in hand with that that developed a real hard pan, the top is just surfaces just hard. Right. And I'm going inside the cages and loosening up the soil and I guess that probably needs to be done, don't you agree?
2: Well you know, you can uh you can loosen it up physically Or you can let Mother Nature do the job. If you were to put either spray with liquid molasses or put dry molasses down, that's going to go a long way toward softening the soil, just like products like Medina Soil Activator or Medina Plus will. Uh, If you put even as little as an inch of compost on top of the soil, that is going to soften the soil. The nice thing about doing it naturally is you're not messing up the roots on your tomato plants. And as you well know, the tomato roots are practically all all the way from the surface of the ground, you know, down to 18 inches deep. So as long as you're able to water, I'm not just insistent that you that you get the soil loosened up. Now, the more you do, the better because you get more oxygen into the soil. But I'm going to try to do it with compost tea, with compost, with soil activator, maybe a little bit of dry molasses, and um, I think those things will be a lot less work, and you know, will produce the same the same benefits.
10: Okay. So, and would you put add more cornmeal because the rain has practically eliminated it? You know, you can see traces of it.
2: I would probably add a little bit. I probably would not put it on quite as heavily as you do early in the season. The problem with those driving rains is that they splash things up onto the plants. And that's where a lot of that early blight fungus and a lot of those other things come from. When we put the cornmeal out early, we've eliminated uh, the fungal spores and things from the soil. And so you're much less likely to get the problem started. So you you're, you're 80% of the way there to being fungus-free. But, yeah, if you want to – I mean, cornmeal's cheap and pretty easy to apply. Um, I would probably apply a little bit more around the plants would be a good idea, but uh, I wouldn't make it the highest priority out there. I think it would be a good thing to do, but I'm not going to tell you it's mandatory. Kind of like softening the soil. Uh, the only – only two things wrong with having hard soil uh because you know you're organic you're going to have plenty of earthworms keeping the soil loose and open below the surface but as long as you get good water penetration as long as you get some air penetration you're going to do okay and if your soil's looser yeah you're going to do a little bit better but i'm not going to be out breaking my back in the heat trying to trying to change things i uh, again little compost little molasses and uh, if you water you know with a drip or anything that's a real slow irrigation whether you do a lot or not that's that's strictly up to you you're going to grow good tomatoes regardless but you're going to grow a little bit better if you put out some cornmeal if you work at getting that soil a little bit looser
10: well if i if i put on some compost uh, and would you put cornmeal on top of the compost
2: it could go either way. You could put your cornmeal down and put compost on top of that. Probably better put your compost down and then put your cornmeal on top. And don't pile the compost up right up against the stems, the trunks, as it were, of the tomato plants. Keep it out over the root zone.
10: Okay. And how often would you water them? Because you know we had that hard <laughs> rain. Yeah. It's already dry. It's and it's,
2: dry. so. Uh, yeah, my garden's the same way. I just feel the soil. Right now, I'm watering my tomatoes about every three to four days. I think it's good to keep them actively growing. I Are, are you setting tomatoes now? No, have,
10: I'm, I'm real late this year. Uh, I I usually put them in pots and put them in the backyard. And, then,
11: mm-hmm.
10: and by the time I plant them, they already got tomatoes on them. But what happened this year, deer jumped in the yard and eat all
2: my tomatoes so, <laughs> i'm it's always up isn't it yeah well it's i think once you once you have the fruit set it's important to keep that soil fairly evenly moist because what happens so many people start running the plants drier and the plants look great but the skin on the tomato fruit toughens up and then we get one of those sudden big gully washers as my grandfather used to call them and the tomatoes fill up with water and they split and of course once that tomato splits it doesn't keep nearly as well so i probably run my tomatoes a little bit more moist than most people do especially after they start setting fruit and uh, for my garden about every three to four days seems to be about the right uh, watering schedule
10: Okay, I don't think I can manage that, but I'll try <laughs> yeah and and again,
2: okay. you're gonna uh, things are gonna do fine um in the past i've I've tried to you know water once a week, but then we get one of those big rains, and I go out and my lemon boys and celebrities and purple cherokees, the fruit all starts to split because that skin got tough because I was going to dryer. And then all of a sudden we got all this moisture, and it expanded. It couldn't stretch, so it just split. So that's the the main reason. You're going to grow good plants. You're going to have uh, very few problems if you're watering every week or so. But you won't have the problem of fruit split. And this is just such a weird year weather-wise. I wouldn't be surprised to see us have infrequent rains but continue to get really hard rains when they do come. And uh, I just love my homegrown tomatoes too much. I, I don't want to lose a single one of them okay well thank you much it's always a pleasure elroy thank you sir okay mm-hmm. bye bye. all right well we've got richard up next and uh i know we have two richards on the line so uh gentlemen's been waiting longest you just heard a click on your phone and i'm talking to you good morning good morning bob morning sir
0: so i have uh, my main question is about my natchez crepe myrtle tree uh okay. But i want to ask you a quick question Um uh, Around, about nutsedge so mm-hmm. what has been your uh experience with molasses being effective to pre- prevent or control nutsedge
2: in dry times i think it works very well in moist times it's a waste of time because nutsedge is by nature a plant that likes uh kind of wet soggy soils and it is a survivor it is tough molasses works to it creates so much microbial activity in the soil that it just i don't know it really seems to shut the nutsedge down but if it's if it's a real moist time i think you're wasting your time in drier times i find that it works very well to eliminate nutsedge
0: okay well i appreciate the info on that um my crepe myrtle tree. So I've heard you talk a lot about how growers bury them too deep. And I've definitely learned that because uh, I've had to, I've had it in the middle of my Bermuda lawn and I've had to really dig down and kind of create a border around it. So with that kind of setting up like the health of the tree, I've had it for about a year and a half and I've just recently um, uncovered the root flare. Um, But I came home the other day and the wind was blowing and it's one of those ones that has three main trunks Mm -hmm. and, um, you know how they start flowering and they get heavy. Uh, right. One of, they're no more than an inch in diameter a piece, but uh-huh. I've had them staked, um, meaning like kind of bunched and grouped together. So I don't know if if that's a, a viable plan for the long-term uh, future, but what happened is is there's too much top-heavy top weight on the top, and so one of them was like almost – perpendicular to the ground and so okay. I staked yeah. it back up and tied it up. So what what is my long-term solution I don't know if staking it is so Well, it's, it's do or?
2: Yeah, um the problem with staking, it's kind of like, you know, you break your leg, you put a cast on it, but it really weakens things. I mean, it it holds it in place while, you know, while that bone regrows a little bit, but overall, it makes the area much weaker and the thing with staking is i mean you've made you've you've held that trunk up but it is not uh, you when you take the stake off it's not nearly as strong as it would be um you know natchez is such a heavy bloomer in fact in my opinion it's about the best white crape myrtle on the market but um if you feel like you have to stake it, stake it loosely enough that that trunk can move back and forth in the wind. It's the motion back and forth that creates a a stronger Trunk, and it will get strong enough that it is totally capable of supporting itself. It's not to say that we might not get a severe thunderstorm or something like that, and sometimes you see you see limbs break out of them. But staking is not really the answer because it's one of those things. If you start staking it, you have to keep staking it because it's it's not going to become the strong tree that it would otherwise uh sometimes you of course you don't want to give up any flowers but sometimes you may want to thin out some of the growth out toward the end of each of these three trunks has a lot of foliage you may get up there and and thin it out just a little bit to reduce the weight but um uh, again I'm I'm like you I'm not really a fan of staking new plants sometimes just to keep them from rocking around in the soil uh, we go and we put you know uh, things parallel to the soil to hold the root ball steady but after a year and a half I'm sure your, your plant's well rooted it's not an issue with the whole root ball rocking around it's just the top of the plant is uh, uh, just doesn't support itself very well but yeah, uh I would say if you stake it, you're going to have to leave it real loosely tied. And especially in the winter months when it doesn't have leaves or flowers, trim it, you know, certainly don't do crepe myrtle like they do in, uh, crepe murder like they do in the Houston area, but thin it out so that you, so that you don't have too much weight out on the end of the limbs. And that just is a good strong tree naturally. It just, uh, it just takes a little while to develop that strength.
0: Yeah, um, so would you recommend me even kind of thin it out now? Because there's just so much weight on top of it. Um, so yeah. I definitely, in the canopy, the way it's, because it has three trunks, it's like symmetrical. So if I were to take out one whole trunk, it would kind of leave like an empty.
2: No, state. no, I, I wouldn't do that. I would think about, um, is any one of the three trunks stronger than the others? They all pretty much equivalent.
0: Yeah, they're they're about equivalent, and I had originally bunched them up because they kind of spread out um, and sprawled sure. out sure. to the to the outside, and they didn't look like a I guess a pretty tree at the time, but I guess it didn't uh, uh didn't rid itself of of the dependency of that stake uh, being sure. together. So
2: yeah, if if anything, you know, if it were a big shade tree, we would call it cabling, where we go up and kind of you know bring all of those three interconnect all three of those trunks not necessarily pulling them up but just you know tying all three of them together so the top moves as a unit instead of having individual trunks are going to splay out as it were and without seeing your tree i can't tell you if that's a really really viable thing to do but i think it's i think it would be better than trying to stake the trunks individually because they've they've got to have that freedom to move and given another couple of years they should be so strong that you don't need to do anything so i'm going to support them absolutely the minimum that i need to i'm going to thin things out just a little bit to uh just uh just take some of the weight off of it
0: so a little bit now, and maybe a little bit more in the uh, winter time when there's not as much. Um, yeah, flowering. when
2: you can really see what you're doing when the leaves are off of it. Okay, January, February-ish, right? That would that would do it. Okay, thank you very much. Well, it's a pleasure, Richard. I appreciate the call this morning. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, we are back to gardening broadcasting from the Festival of Flowers this morning. Going to talk to Don and Richard and Todd and Mike. And it's Don's turn. Good morning, Don. How you doing, Bob? Good morning I to you. Just, it's uh, it's going to be a wonderful weekend. I just hope everybody takes time while we're out playing or swimming or whatever else. But uh, to remember what we, what we I can't say celebrate, but what we honor this weekend. And that is all the men and women that uh, gave the ultimate so that you and I could garden and do what we choose to do.
12: Well, I'll tell you one thing. if If everybody would just um flourishing within each other i think it all come together is a real good spirit amongst each other i really well, do
2: i i think that uh the way that we live in south texas exemplifies that i just wish the rest of the country get it figured out sometime but anyway it's uh i don't know it's it's a strange world we live in i'll put it uh, that way but i am grateful for everything i have and for the men and women that made it possible for us to have all those things so i think it's a very special weekend Yes, I, no doubt. Well, I got a couple questions.
12: Um, yes, sir. One is, I have a, a Monterey oak or a Mexican oak, mm-hmm. and and I have several of them. But I have this one; it's already beginning to show some signs of mildew. Um, the leaves are there. It got a little bit of new growth, but it, every year it goes through something, and I'm not sure what's what's going on with it. And I'm wondering, can you, you know,
2: give me any idea? Just be patient with it. We've had the most unusual spring I can remember, and I've seen a lot of springs, but we've been from dry to wet to dry to wet. We've been sometimes cooler than warmer, some uh, normal, sometimes warmer. And mildew is showing up on Monterey Oaks. It's also showing up even more on Burr Oaks. And I say, don't worry about it. Give it, you know, give it three weeks of bright sunshine, and it's going to go away. Uh, You could mix up some corn water tea and spray it. There are different things you could do, but Monterey Oak's a a good tough oak. I would check the base to be sure that root flare is exposed. If you haven't given any fertilizer this spring, I think a little fertilizer would be in order, but uh, that should be, that should be one thing you should not have to worry about. I, I wouldn't be concerned about that at all, Don. Okay, then. And my next question is,
12: all right, the crape myrtles. I was hearing you talk to the lady about the off the little pop ups and springs up. I got this one uh-huh. crape myrtle, and every year she puts out quite a bit. And I was I was listening to you saying how long it takes to root up on those crape myrtles. When can I dig those up and maybe put them in pots or put them in another area to where I maybe can? Well, I got a lot of place I can put them. So I was wondering,
2: can I do that? it doesn't work well those are little shoots coming off the roots and it takes them a long time to form roots of their own and they're generally kind of weak wimpy plants now if you want to start some cuttings off your crepe myrtle we can do that this fall i mean i'll you know give me a call about october or so and i'll tell you how to start as many new crepe myrtles as you want but these little things that are coming up off the roots they're not going to make a decent plant. So first thing I'm going to do is check and be sure the root flare is exposed. Most of the time, crepe myrtles come to us buried too deeply in the pots, and that's one thing that causes them to put on so many of those root sprouts. But uh, they they really don't have uh, a root system of their own. It takes a long time to develop it, and it's just they just don't transplant well. So. I uh, want to start some more. We'll talk about how to do that from cuttings, but it's not going to be from those root sprouts.
12: Oh, okay, then, yeah, because this thing is probably about 30 foot tall. It and not got huge, you know. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, check, check the base, because you should see that trunk broadening out where it gets down close to ground level, and most of the time... Uh, you have to dig out some around to find that there'll be some little fibrous roots there but when you look at a crepe myrtle that's got that that big flare as we call it up toward the surface you very rarely ever see you know root sprouts coming out on that okay okay
12: all right my next question is saint augustine with well, i got bermuda growing in it how can i get rid of that bermuda um i i, I i'm gonna tell you something i goofed up and tried to put some stuff on it and I went over there and traced over at Mill Burger's money. He must have chewed me out about it and I tell you he's a good friend of mine and he helped <laughs> me out a whole lot. So you know well, and um but Saint
2: uh, right. Augustine is a stronger grass than Bermuda if you meet its needs. Uh in a dry situation Bermuda's gonna dominate in an area or in a situation where you give it adequate moisture and adequate nutrition, St. Augustine will choke that Bermuda out. It will force that Bermuda up to the top, and you're going to mow it off with your lawnmower. But St. Augustine is a heavy feeder. I'd be using an organic fertilizer, and I don't know how Trace feels about those, but uh, St. Augustine sure likes organic better than it likes some of the other products. But I'd be feeding it. While you're – normally, you know, we get to where you do it twice a year. But right now, while you're trying to choke the Bermuda out, I'd be feeding it four times a year. I would be giving it a thorough deep watering once a week. And don't worry about that Bermuda. The St. Augustine will choke it out. St. Augustine is our strongest grass out there. It will choke out everything as long as you meet its needs as far as water and nutrition.
12: Okay, then that sounds great. Then How about that – Um this what is this stuff called uh, a humic humic acid i think it is humic humic
2: acids humic acids and there are many 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 different humic acids are mm-hmm. natural products that are produced uh as compost and mulches break down they do a lot of good things to support the life in the soil they provide a lot mm-hmm. of micronutrients and things to plant uh to plants and if you get products, especially, you know, your, your better companies like Medina, they're mixing humic acids into all of their fertilizers. You can buy straight humic acid. There's both a dry form and a liquid form. And it's sort of a soil builder. It's not a fertilizer, but it builds the structure of the soil and it builds microbial life in the soil. So it's not something that I add a lot of unless I'm in just really lousy soil and really trying to build that soil up in a hurry. When uh, when you're using compost as a mulch and things like that, uh, you're producing all kinds of humic acids and fulvic acids and all the things that really make for a good healthy soil.
12: Okay, then. Well, that sounds great. Well, I guess I'm doing fine with Minogalite, um putting it on the Saint Augustine, and I'm in, um, I'm out in, um, in Carmel County, so you know, little yep.
2: clay, but yeah, it works out fine. Well, it's um, it, there are some negatives to it. I'm, uh, you know, milorganite can sometimes be a little high in some of the nasty stuff that goes down our sewer systems. And it sure doesn't smell very good. So if you ever get tired of the odor, um, there are other good organics. Nature's Creation makes an alfalfa-based fertilizer that actually smells good. Uh, Medina, of course, is a poultry litter base that I think smells better than the than the sludge base that Mill Organite has. But, hey, if it's, if it's working for you, it's certainly a good fertilizer for St. Augustine. Okay, then. I think I'll try that. I'm going to try that Medina, then. Yeah, you, uh, you give it a try and let me know how it works out for you. I always enjoy hearing from you. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome. You're welcome, Don. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. All right, let's get right straight back to these phone lines, and uh, Richard is up next. Uh, good morning, Richard.
10: How are you doing, Bob?
2: Doing well. How about yourself?
10: Not too bad. What time do festivities start where you're at right now?
2: Uh, well, the, some of us started about 5 o'clock this morning, but the doors open at 9 o'clock.
10: 9 o'clock. Okay. couple
5: of questions for you. Are we warm enough to put up Bermuda seed yet?
2: Um we are today we are tomorrow i think we probably are i this has been the weirdest spring weather wise that i remember but as long as we stay with the nights in the low to middle 70s as long as we've got daytime temperatures mid 80s or above uh i think we're fine so yeah i'm uh i'm going to be putting out bermuda any time now
10: okay my uh okra and cucumber that I have in earth boxes is starting to take off and it looks like they want to reach out and grab something so do I need to get a trellis or can I back that up to my back wooden fence and that'll serve well
2: you don't have to do either either one cucumbers would like something to grow up okra is totally self-supporting but uh, with your cucumbers do you know which variety you planted
7: um I'm not sure I got it from uh, David's garden seed
2: well yeah, I hope David's here today. I haven't, I haven't seen him yet, but um, most cucumbers are vining and will produce best if they have something to grow up on. But if they don't, they just spread out. They just take up more room, and your cucumbers will not be as pretty, uniform color. But um, cucumbers don't absolutely have to be spaced. If if uh, I mean, don't have to be staked or trellised. Uh, if it is an issue next year, plant SpaceMaster or one of the so-called bush cucumbers. And, um, and you know, they're made to grow without a trellis or a stake. But, uh, um, yeah, if you can I, – I grow mine up on cattle panels uh, is how I grow mine, and that's the best way to grow cucumbers. But okra, just leave it alone. Depending on variety, it's going to grow four to eight feet tall, and it needs no help from you as far as standing up straight.
10: Okay, that'll work. Thank
2: you much. Okay, well, easy questions, Richard. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, next up is going to be todd good morning todd
13: good morning bob morning. To Day weekend.
2: and to you as well
13: um got a question about uh, i don't know what this weed officially is called we i've referred to it as beggar's life it's yeah. got the little looks like baby's <laughs> breath and then it makes the nastiest little seeds that stick to everything
2: oh if you need some more i've got a, a world-class supply <laughs> myself this year yes sir
13: I'm trying to find a way to control it. I'm on small acreage, five acres, but I I've been walking around for years, pulling it up as I see it, and it's just it's so persistent. It's hard to get rid of.
2: Oh, um, it is, it is, and it is so profuse this year. Um, I you know I pull it up out of my yard, and beyond that, it it's just hard. Do you, do you run cattle or stock of any sort?
13: Um, uh, we've
2: got some exotic hoof stock
13: on the on the plate. Um, okay. It's mainly on the fence lines with, with yeah. the game-proof fencing on the other side of the fence where I can't weed it, I can't cut it. I, I'm just, and it, if it seeds anywhere, it seems like it just spreads everywhere.
2: Well, and that's what it does. When it gets out to where the animals can eat it, it's not a problem in my pastures. But same way, anywhere that uh, that the animals can't get to it, it is just a real, real problem. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, what I try to do, and at this point, at least mine, they're already farming burrs. I mean, they, they've they already made a bunch of seed for next year. But I think it's worthwhile early in the season just to go around those fence lines because it's going to be up and growing before any of your grasses are, and just hit it with vinegar orange oil mix. It doesn't work to cut it down. You cut it down, and it just spreads out at ground level and makes the burrs at two inches height instead of two foot height. But uh, this, you know, this late in the season, not a lot to do except mow it off, get the brush out and brush the dogs every day and, you know, just fight with it. But next spring, you're going to see it start coming out mid to late February most years. If you get out and, and just spray the fence lines, the places you see little seedlings coming up, all you have to do is lightly coat the foliage. It kills it completely. And it may not get every one, but it's going to reduce the numbers down to where pulling it will be effective. But this year, I think there's just so much of it. And I don't know about you. My schedule was just so busy. It got out of hand way too early. But um, late February, early March, to hit it with that vinegar-orange oil mix. One gallon will probably spray, oh, 400 feet of fence line or more. And that's, I think, about the only thing i found that really works to effectively control it.
13: Okay, I'll have to do that cuz it's a it's a nuisance. <laughs> yeah. Um I need a recommendation real quick. I I've got a flower bed and I had some Esperons in it. I pulled them all out cuz they got gangly. Um uh, okay. when I planted them it was a sunny location. Now it only gets afternoon sun cuz a beautiful burrow has grown up and given it some shade. Okay. But I need a uh, I'd like to have a flowering shrub there that doesn't get real tall. I thought about a miniature Esperanza, but I don't know if it gets enough sun to support
2: that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to... Roses, possibly. Yeah, and unfortunately, Esperanza and roses both pretty much demand full sun to do well. How how tall does a plant need to get to, to do what you want it to do? Uh,
13: a couple feet would be fine.
2: Okay. look at Look at shrimp plant. Look at Plumbago, both the blue and white form. There are several salvias out there. The uh, the one they call Ray, R-H-E-A, is going to grow, or, or Dualberg, either one of those. They're going to grow to about two feet. Mystic spires is going to get about three and a half feet. Indigo spires is going to get, <coughs> excuse, me, excuse me, got me this morning here. <coughs> um, but uh, uh, those will all do well. Uh, there, are <coughs> there are a bunch of different salvias that would do. The kufias, like David Verity. And the uh, even Mexican heather uh, is going to get up close to two feet in height. We've got native plants like Turks cap would be uh, ideal in a situation like that. It will bloom all summer long. American beautyberry is another possibility in there. Um, that's a good starting point. I can I can go on with some others if that's uh, if that's not enough. But things like your salvias, your plumbago. Most of your is those are going to give you blooms uh, eight, ten months out of the year. The shrimp plant is just, uh, the hummingbirds love it. It only freezes back about one year out of six, and it blooms constantly. And I think, much as I love Esperanza, I think we've got a lot of other things that are going to be better in that situation.
13: Okay, those are good recommendations. I appreciate it. And then uh, another quick question, if you can, um, how to propagate Gerbera daisies. Um, Gerber daisies. I can't get them to come up.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, gerbers are propagated mainly from seed. There's no way to do cuttings. Um, the seed needs to be covered very lightly. You want to let them go till the, it's fully mature. You know, they make a seed looks almost like a dandelion. And um, they're a little tough to get started, but I would do your seed bed and then at most maybe an eighth inch of uh, soil on top of that. I would water it with a mist noggles nozzle, one of these things they call a fog, F-O-G-G nozzle, and um, they they can be a challenge to get started, but they're pretty much exclusively grown from seed. It's just uh, most people bury the seed too deeply, and it doesn't do well, and it needs sun from the day it sprouts, but uh, you can propagate them from seed.
13: Okay, I'll give it a try then. I may have been going too deep. I appreciate it, Bob. Thank you. It's always a pleasure.
2: Thank you, Todd. Okay, Uh, goodbye. Uh, To the phone lines, it's going to be Mike and then John. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir.
1: Uh, A couple things. This uh, cantaloupe that started growing on its own from some seeds I just threw out on top of the ground here. (laughs) Yes, sir. Uh, I gather uh, I can clip it so it doesn't keep extending, correct? Nothing will happen to it if I
2: um i don't want to take any foliage i don't have to off because more leaves more sugar and more sugar the sweeter and better the cantaloupe what i do because the vines don't root i just go out and i just pick them up and kind of fold them back on top of themselves and i would recommend that over actually cutting them off they they need every leaf they can in order to produce a quality cantaloupe for you
1: Okay, great, great. Um glad I asked. Yeah, me The too. other thing, um, I have these uh, five-gallon uh, containers, plastic containers that I fill up, you know, with water and open a little hole at the bottom to, you know, sort of water, whatever it is I am, a little yeah. slower. Yes, sir. Instead of standing around, Instead of standing around there. Uh-huh. Uh, and from time to time, you know, I might forget it where I have it. And, you know, with the sun and stuff, since it's not getting to the grass below, you know, it gets a little burnt. Okay. Um, uh, I stumbled upon, uh, something weird. Uh, I have this big old piece of, uh, plastic, uh, clear plastic, uh, that I use to cover stuff up when it rains hard. Um, mm-hmm. uh, some of my outside furniture, that I don't want getting wet. Um, <laughs> Fortunately, and you don't I, have to deal with that too often in your area, but yes, right. sir. <laughs> right, <laughs> but I spread it out on the on the uh, grass to uh, dry it out faster. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I think, like in about a day, uh, you know, until I picked it up, right? I didn't notice that uh, the grass underneath was burned a whole lot faster than when I leave a uh, the five gallon bucket on top of the grass. Uh, uh-huh. So, you know. If people want to kill something really fast. Get some clear plastic and put it on top, and uh, I think well, that'll clear, work a whole lot
2: faster than clear plastic or black plastic. is like leaving your car closed up on a sunny afternoon. It's what we call solarizing, and it'd be interesting. Put your put a little uh, outdoor thermometer down underneath at sometime, and you'll find it gets up to 160 180 degrees underneath that plastic and that's what we actually use to eliminate some undesirable things so you were just solarizing without knowing what to call it yes yes yes
1: okay yeah great idea i think uh, underneath there we'll probably get up to 180 myself
2: <laughs> yes sir you don't want to lie under it i'll promise you that
1: unless um, you want to lose a lot of weight
2: There you go. Well, Mike, have a great Memorial Day weekend and we'll talk again. Let's get uh, John in here before the end of the hour. Good morning, John. Good morning, Bob. Morning, Uh, sir. I saw something. I know you love this
14: on the internet. I'm building a raised raised bed and um, it's two and a half feet tall. I'm getting old enough that getting down to weed or on the ground is rough. So I was making this thing. I saw some over here in New Braunfels at uh, uh Food Bank. They've got some pretty little raised beds out there that are made of corrugated uh, metal and uh sure, so anyway i made I've made this bed, got the frame all built up and was getting ready to fill it with dirt and was looking online and saw a guy had filled his with uh, logs, branches, all kinds of debris basically to to just use a filler in the bottom so he's not buying quite as much. Uh, soil to put in there and fortuitously my neighbors uh arizona ash has dropped two limbs in the last month when i'm right on my shed which i've ended up cutting up and throwing in there and now i've got you know 10 to 12 inches of of just debris in the bottom of this thing well john let me let me go is that a good move or not
2: I don't think so. Uh, They call it Hugaculture. There are people that talk about it all the time. But in order to break down, in order to decompose, uh, that woody stuff takes a fair amount of nutrient. And when you bury it in the ground, um, you know, the only place it can get what it needs is stealing it from the fertilizer, stealing it from the good soil that you put in there. So it, in effect, you know, 10 years from now, it would be a good thing. Short term, no. I mean, if you do that, you need to fertilize three times as heavily, three times as often. And, um, so I'm not much in favor of that in our area. I know it can get expensive, but, uh, I'm, I'm all for paying the money for good soil. Uh, if you're going to, uh, do anything, just buy a cheaper soil and bulk it up with molasses and little compost and things like that and build the soil naturally. But I'm into letting the, uh, heavy material decay on top of the ground rather than underneath okay uh, hope that's, that's, hope that's a good start all right it is just after uh, eight o'clock on a nice saturday morning now as you know if you've listened to us for any length of time don't dial right this second we'll save about the last 30 minutes of the show for more phone calls but we save this segment to visit with the dirt Mr. Howard Garrett, a uh, man who has the opportunity of spreading the word of organics all across this great country of ours. Good morning, Howard. Well, happy Memorial Day weekend, everybody. And the uh, same to you and um, your old ex-Marine. You know what Memorial Day is all about and why, why it's a great time to go party and things, but why we should always remember those who've sacrificed so that we could do what we like to do.
15: Ultimate sacrifice. Absolutely, yeah. everybody uh, needs to enjoy it, but keep a keep a thought about what it's really all about. That's exactly right.
2: Well, it's, uh, you know, it's just I not... <laughs> I love taking the opportunity to buy a cup of coffee or something or other when I've got a person in uniform standing in line in front of me or behind me or whatever, and I feel the same way about our first responders and all. There's just a lot of people out there that that do a lot, and, uh, of course, Memorial Day honors the people from wars past. that made the ultimate sacrifice, and uh, I just think they're, a lot of people that don't know what that means these days, especially a lot of young people. So I try to talk about it. I know you do as well. And uh, anyway, how's everything in North Texas? Y'all still pretty wet, I see. Yeah, everything's green. I was actually thinking about possibly turning
15: on the sprinkler system. But right now, I'm still just watering by hand around in uh, you know pots and places that dry out first. So um, it's not turned back on yet.
2: Are you seeing or doing anything differently other than just uh, reducing the watering, considering that it has been cooler than typical and wetter than typical this spring? Has I you know In the organic world, we don't have to pay as much attention as those other people do, but has it caused you to recommend to your many, many listeners to do anything different?
15: No, not really. Just to uh, keep an eye on things, I'm seeing uh, a few insect problems pop up here and there. Some of the photographs people are sending me are congregations of beneficials, so you have to be (laughs) kind of careful. And some of the damage I've seen, I've seen some plants with holes in them, and it could be beetles or or, um, slugs, either one. But the interesting thing, every time I've looked at some plants that have that, there's no insect pest there. It's like they hit and beneficials came in and took them out, or they decided to leave before that happened. It's been kind of uh, interesting. I'm seeing more beneficials than pests around in my, both both, uh, at the office and here at the
2: house. You know, we're pretty much the same way. The one thing that we have an an abundance of, especially out in the country, this year is caterpillars of all sorts. And it's odd because I see very little damage, but I have seen more fuzzy caterpillars, most of which I have no idea you know what sort of moth or butterfly they turn into, but my gosh, if I'm out shredding or mowing or even just working around the garden, uh, this is this has been the year of the caterpillar. Seen some, but
15: not that uh, not that many. I've seen a little bit, of, like I said, a little bit of damage that's kind of scratch your head stuff. <clears throat> People in the vegetable garden might want to keep a good eye out on the backside of leaves. Sometimes that little uh, four-line plant bug that has the red belly will show up right. and do do some damage on some things, especially on uh, basil, and uh, uh, I've had it probably as bad, it's not a vegetable, but the uh, uh, Jerusalem uh, sage, uh, uh-huh. and some of those kind of plants, and it looks like disease, it doesn't look like insect damage It'll, on the basil or basil it'll be uh, black spots and then on the sage it tends to be kind of manila folder completely different color but in both cases it looks more like uh, disease than than insect damage and they're they're kind of hit and run artists and they hang out on the back side of leaves you don't see them a lot of times unless you look on the back side
2: do you have a favorite basil i know everybody when we say basil everybody always thinks of sweet basil because that's the one you see most commonly but we've got some growers down here that are producing six, eight different kinds of basils from the African blue to the purples to the Thai basil, the lot of different forms. And, uh, I like them all, but, uh, and I think all of the others, I think sweet basil is probably the weakest of the bunch as far as its susceptibility to probably things so, yeah. from, I yeah. Think- I think those
15: that purple one. I forget the exact name of it. It's one I've uh, I least like the looks of it, and it has a yep. really nice flavor too. But like you say, they're all they're all good, and they're all easy to grow. And unless you mulch too heavily, you can get a, a return pretty uh, much every year from the seed.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I we haven't. Got an, Go ahead.
15: We've got an intern that's working, uh, helping me with the weeding. That's been uh, kind of tough to keep up with because of the rain. Uh-huh. In a lot of cases, and she bought me some chili bikini that she got from Monticello years ago, and uh, she does something I've never done that's pretty cool that you might want to try if you haven't, and that is she takes the seed and dries it and then uses it and then crushes it and uses it like a hot pepper uh, on food, and it's pretty cool. I made the mistake of putting about four in my mouth and just chewing them up, and they were a little hotter than I expected, to tell you the truth those little chili pekin they look kind of uh innocent but they're uh they got a pretty good kick to them i told her she was saying that hers didn't uh always come back every year and told her that we need to get her some of mine too because mine's been coming back strongly perennial for close to
2: 40 years now yeah and we're the same way here in fact a lot of winters ours doesn't even freeze back and when it does it always seems to come out from the base but uh you're right about uh, about the heat. Uh, we've got a. In fact, I think you've dined with us down at LaFond on Maine, and maybe at Cappy's before. But Cappy Lawton's one of the best chefs that I know. He takes them and cuts them in half and smokes them, puts them on a smoker, and sort of oh, really? dries. And let me tell you what—talk about a wonderful flavor! And uh they still got some heat. Had an old friend, chef friend for years and his word was said they're hot enough to have some authority. And uh that's kinda what chili bikini is, but I tell you that smoking seems to take some of the heat out and that's uh enhance. Idea, yeah. yeah, certainly um, worth doing. And speaking of peppers, my shishitos are once again the champion of the garden. They're the only oh, pepper yeah. I have that is uh, making lots and lots of peppers already. I I think I planted about 10 plants, and I could probably pick a couple of quarts of shishitos this afternoon. So um, I hope yours have done as well, and I hope all the people that got the seeds uh, from uh, Torque uh, have done as well with them as, as mine have. But, gosh, I love that little pepper
15: yeah we get some good reports it's it's terrific it's a pretty little plant i planted some strange ones that i got at one of the uh, plant sales i think it was when i did the talk over at mount pleasant the uh, uh the master gardeners group over there uh, has really gotten into growing their own stuff and there were some interesting sounding ones that i'd never tried and so i've got some of those uh going in the garden too and some of them look pretty pretty tough pretty big Uh, Tough plant, overall plants, you know, not Uh just the uh, production of the peppers.
2: Have you ever found a way to grow things like, I know down here, the hatch chilies are so popular, and some of these uh, um, that are typically come out of New Mexico, sometimes come from a little bit higher altitude, and they grow, but I've never had really I would say the kind of success that I've had with some of these other things. Have you found any secret to growing those, or have you tried? No, I
15: never have really tried too much. I, I bet you they're more uh, adapted to a cooler uh, climate. Yeah. I don't know how they became such a big deal. I, <laughs> I think any pepper you could, you know, do the, kind of the same thing with. But I guess the flavor maybe is a little bit more distinct or something. But uh, it's a, it's been a very powerful marketing deal when they talk about hatch chilies they sell out
2: yeah i I think that's exactly what it is is a marketing deal but um i just wonder because i years ago i had trouble growing the poblanos because i love chili serranos and um i never did real well and a friend turned me on and i can't think of the variety now i hate to bring it up when i can't remember but uh told me about a different what seemed to be a more heat tolerant poblano and i've had those things grow six feet tall and produce chilies just about as big as you see in the restaurant so i'm I'm wondering if one of these days maybe we'll get a hatched chili that is a little bit more tolerant to our heat i'm I'm sure the grocery stores are not all in favor of that because it make it too easy yeah. for us to grow our own but uh i'd I'll sure be interested if you if you find anyone who has had success with growing them because it is it is a fun chili and it is good tasty chili.
15: Yeah, there's a there's a lot of good ones, and I guess it probably makes more difference about how they're uh, dried and how they're cooked, how they're smoked, like you're suggesting on the chili pecan about the taste than the than the chili than the pepper itself. But yeah, we'll keep keep playing around with it.
2: One more thing I meant to mention before I forget about it, and uh, I don't know who all's list you're on but uh be sure and tell your listeners uh, especially well i guess you have a national audience tomorrow but here in texas need to remind everybody that this is a sales tax-free weekend on all plants all mulches all compost um everything related to water conservation one way or another and i think it's funny that uh that they even include houseplants on this, but I don't mind. Any, any, anything that saves us money is good, a good thing, but it's a good reason it goes today, tomorrow, and Monday, um, that, uh, people are going to be out shopping at the nurseries. Remember, you'll pay no sales tax on plants or compost or mulch or all the good stuff we talk about.
15: Okay, good. Yeah, I'll, rem- I'll make a note here to remember to talk about that. Yeah, I am doing the show tomorrow, so we'll, uh, we'll definitely bring
2: that up and uh of course you hit markets that are way way outside of uh outside of Texas and this is a a Texas holiday but it's just as valid in the metroplex up there as it is down here and uh I, I don't know why they they seem to have a problem getting the word out it always seems to sneak up on us but uh we have a lot of people that will you know come in today tomorrow and buy 20 30 bags of mulch or same thing on compost and things building the soil and we just love to see that. It's, uh, the, the more people do to create that microbial life in the soil, the more successful they are at gardening.
15: Yep, that's a, that's a good deal. It, we've, we're still dealing with some interesting weather. Some of the guys at the uh, golf course yesterday were talking about the fact that the fairways still aren't quite as thick as they would like to uh, see. And it's just that we're just now getting into weather hot enough for Bermuda to really be happy about it.
2: It's the same way in my yard, you know, and I think that's the reason that this has been the year of the weed as far as questions we get and as far as the green we see. But now that the Bermuda's finally coming out, I I still tell people that, uh, you know, your lawnmower is the best weed controller you've got in the summer months. And uh, we've got some, you know, as you've pointed out, we've got some effective new organic weed killers, but, you know, the, there's just nothing like a good strong turf grass to, to choke out choke out weeds and i think we're finally getting into the kind of weather that we're going to start seeing that but it's it's been late getting started this year i had a caller this morning wanting to know if it was time to plant bermuda seed and i'm saying this week is the first week i've really felt like it was warm enough to do that
15: i, I agree and uh, the caladiums kind of in the same category
2: exactly yeah, yeah. But it's different,
15: been different it's, kind of year. it's been nice. It's a good news bad news thing because that as it turns hot, it makes some of the things easier. But here comes the mosquitoes and the sweat and the humidity and all that too. So,
2: what what do you tell people for chiggers? That's one of the common questions I get, and I'm still recommending cedar oil and uh, just any of the herbal oils. But what do you tell your callers about chiggers?
15: Well, I think cedar's good. I think cedar flakes are good. I think any of the essential oil products uh, are good, like, you know, the Pure Grow product. Uh, that mm-hmm. thing, that uh, product line is really continuing to uh, impress me. Uh, the sulfur works, if you don't overdo it, you know, it definitely will help some. One of the tricky things about chiggers, though, is that some people, and it might be a fairly high percentage of people, don't have chiggers. They have that what I probably incorrectly call the chicken mite, uh-huh. and I ran into that thing for the first time probably 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, in Fort Worth, in a lady's garden who had been organic for a long time. She was a great gardener and had beautiful, beautiful garden. But she she got to the point where she couldn't even go out in the garden herself and just got eaten up by these these little no see uh chicken mite type things. And, you know, I just don't think chiggers are really going to be around in a lush garden. You know, they like yeah. a xeric, dry uh, place, and, and so if you're having something that you think are chiggers in, uh, in a well-maintained garden, it may be this mite, and uh-huh. they are, are much more difficult to control. We still recommend the same things. Uh, and if you have chickens, using you know diatomaceous earth around them is good for the chickens and good for that, probably uh, to a degree as well. In addition to those other things that we mentioned, but that could be the possible. That could be what what some people are dealing with rather than uh, than sugars.
2: Yeah, that's a real good point. Real good point. What about personal repellents? I know you can go on DirtDoctor.com and. You still have your your um, formula with the vanilla and things in it. Have you come up with anything different or anything better that you're recommending as a personal repellent?
15: Well, <clears throat> one of the things that we talk about, and I probably ought to talk about more than than I do, uh, there is a, a Texas wildflower called. Uh, uh, it's a monarda. It's called uh, lemon mint. Yeah, right?
2: yeah, citrina uh, monarda thing. citrina. Yeah.
15: It's got the purple or white flowers, and the the fragrance from that. It's really easy to grow from seed and everything. We probably ought to, you know, get more more people growing it. But having it growing helps some. But taking the flowers and crushing them and using the uh, oil right out of the flowers works really well on cheers.
2: Now that's real interesting. That's
15: and, you know, it's a pretty easy, to grow, uh, very beautiful and and easy to grow wildflower too.
2: Oh, it it is a great wildflower. We have an issue where anybody's overrun with deer they they seem to eat it which is unusual for something that is that aromatic but uh, boy if you get a protected area and there are some uh new monarda hybrids that are being grown more as annuals for the flower garden but uh, uh it's a wonderful plant uh the monardas and also the echinaceas the coneflowers are are just among the prettiest things you'll see out there and they will naturalize if you have a reasonably sunny area for them
15: yeah, it's a, it's a good one. It, you don't see it that often, but where, where you do see it, it's, it's doing very well because it's not a difficult one to grow at all.
2: Yeah. I just, you know, we talk all the time and we hear so much about Roundup and glyphosate and all those things in the environment. But this time of year, I just hate the fact that the government and everybody else is telling people to smear DEET all over themselves. And I think DEET is uh, is one of the most toxic things out there, and especially these people that want to put it on young kids. I, I think that's just a, a horrible thing that we see way too much of.
15: Oh, I totally agree. And and you can hardly see one of those uh, mosquito recommendations without it being part of the recommendations. Yep. I'm seeing more and more people saying either use Deed or use something else, you know, like lemon eucalyptus or something uh, something else, but uh, they're still mentioning Deed almost every time they write one
2: of those things. Yeah, there is a line of products that's becoming uh, a little more available now uh, that uh, they actually have a lemon eucalyptus uh personal repellent just comes in a little you know uh, sprayer little hand sprayer uh that they're calling murphy's naturals and uh that has become one of my favorite personal repellents to use i find it works really really well and uh, plus it's it's very cooling to the skin and and i don't find the i think the the aroma or fragrance whatever you would call it i don't find it offensive at all but it it sure does because i'll be sitting out there if i'm taking a break or something like that i'll see the mosquitoes come up and they get within about six inches of you and they turn around go the other direction that lemon eucalyptus uh combination is a really really good thing
15: and it's a murphy's uh brand uh, yeah it's
2: murphy's natural it's the same company that makes some andaroba products i still love the andaroba you know, candles and incense and things like that, and Robo, of course, is a very renewable resource. It's a Brazilian tree, but it's a it's a really effective thing to keep the mosquitoes away. And uh, but they've never been able to make a a really good lotion or spray out of it. But they they're doing this lemon eucalyptus product now, and it's it's really good.
15: One uh, thing that I ran into, one of my uh, new things I learned since I last talked to you, I uh, took some pictures of a, uh, the true pistachio on my trip to Mexico, you know, and I, uh-huh. I didn't have it as an entry in, on the website, and so I did a little research, and, and we've added a, uh, an entry now for the thing. And But the most interesting point when I was – Doing the uh, work on it was that it says it can take 14 degrees, which really? I was really kind of surprised about it because if that's the case, we ought to be able to grow it here. But I don't know that anybody's ever uh, had any success growing it. I like, maybe it's just because nobody's really ever tried.
2: Uh, that's an intre- the
15: humidity of the summer. I don't know.
2: Well, they—I guess—they grow a fair amount of it out in California. Isn't that where a lot of our pistachios, pistachios I think come from? Oh, so,
15: yeah. It's primarily grown in warmer places, and I think everybody, including me, always assumed that it was a <coughs> semi-tropical plant. You know, and that's where I took the pictures of it. You know, it was down in in Mexico, of course, uh-huh. a tropical situation where the the dra- that farm where the dragon fruit was is where yeah. it was growing. But it's a really pretty tree. It has beautiful foliage and. Uh, a neat plant so I don't know maybe we ought to uh, try to give it a shot maybe the humidity and the problems that we have in the summer more than the, uh, the winter temperature.
2: <laughs> we never know until we experiment and uh, yeah it's uh, it, you you just don't realize how many people you reach with some of the different things you share with us I've had more people come in and ask about dragon fruit this week since uh, since we oh, really? talked about it last week and I've had people bring me and show me pictures i had one lady that has a friend somewhere in our area who grows apparently six different varieties of dragon fruit and of course gives them winter protection but uh it's just always it's it's so interesting and gratifying to me is that uh you bring up something and then i i really hear about it from a lot of people over the weeks to come so maybe we'll learn a little bit more maybe somebody has uh has tried the pistache because uh it it sure would sure be a fun thing if it has if it has good fall color which is um something that we sorely lack here in South Texas that would make it even more attractive as a landscape uh, tree
15: well one of the related things that, that came up I'm doing some consulting on a big property that's not too far away from here. And he's one of those kind of guys that he talks to me and then he talks to six other people, you know. (laughs) And and it gets really kind of of confusing and frustrating at times. But I went over there the other day to help him with some stuff. He had a bunch of dogwoods that didn't make it through the winter, which was interesting. I think it was just all the rain and some of them were too deep in the ground, the usual thing. But he had planted some Chinese pistachio trees. And he planted them for the fall color. And You know, I used to be the lead recommender of that plant Mm -hmm. when I was with Lambert years ago. I put it into every design I did. And then, you know, we started hearing a little bit reports here and there about the invasiveness of it. And now it's officially on the uh, national and state invasive species list. And so... Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I told them uh, about it and told them, you know, I really recommend the plant something else like flame sumac or, you know, the... uh, an introduced tree that I recommend as great fall color is the green Japanese maples. You know, a lot of people don't realize how tough they are because they're not that uh, easily available. But it is a—it's a problem, and it, I, I've got it popping up uh, in several places here in my own yard that I'm uh, popping out.
11: Interesting. So
15: it, it is really coming up like like mad. It uh, obviously only comes up from the female plants, but there's mm-hmm. a there's a lot of them out there. Wow.
2: Well, I tell you, in in regard to that, I've got a picture I'll try to email to you this week, because I know for your publications, email works better than texting. But uh, I took a picture, a friend asked me to go by and look at, a. uh, speaking of maples, a big tooth maple, which is probably our best native maple down in this area, and this tree had been in a landscape that was planted too deep, Uh, root flare really buried, and uh, the tree died, and he asked me to go by and take a look, and, I mean, the bark down there near the ground just rotted. You could see the wood rotting underneath it, and apparently the maples are one of the trees that are most susceptible to damage when the root flare is not exposed, and I think this is going to be a good picture uh, for this is the end result. If you leave that root flare buried, it may take a while, but death is the ultimate result.
15: Well, I'm doing uh, sick tree treatment on a little uh, uh persian ironwood that I uh, planted myself you know, at the <laughs> office. I got to looking at it, and it had weeds growing up and grass growing up to the trunk, and I pulled it back, and sure enough, it you know it, it, uh, since I planted it, 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 because of erosion and various things, the maintenance guys and everything, it's got piled up on it. And I, it's caused it to be chlorotic, and I'm doing a real fast version of the sick tree treatment I'm going to use. The, instead of physical aeration of the whole area, I'm going to do the hydrogen peroxide and try to put it all into a slide form for people because I think a lot of folks think it's way too complicated to do all that stuff, but Mm -hmm. it's really not. You don't even have to do it all at one time. You can do one step at a time, you know, once a month or something, but it makes a big difference.
2: Oh, yeah, and hydrogen peroxide is so cheap and easy, and I think the correct term is a flocculating agent. Is that right? It, yeah, uh, that's
15: what it does in this case. Yeah, you just mix it with water or get, with the garret juice is even better and just sure. just pour it on the soil in the root zone of the plant. If you've got a lot of plants that need help, just treat the whole property. My, uh, my tree climbing, Nellie, just ran in here and bashed the door open and jumped up uh, beside me. She's uh, She did something to get in a little trouble with Judy yesterday. She, decided, she had decided that she likes or doesn't like turtles, and she had a... A turtle and it was chewing a hole in its shell yesterday. Oh my! Have to try to figure out how to stop that behavior. Now it's always something.
2: It is always something. Well, anything special going on in your personal appearance world and uh, your your art supporting torque? Anything uh, we we want to announce? Any place you're going to be?
15: Well, uh, the only other Mother Earth Nature Mother Earth uh, fair I'm going to do is the one in Kansas, I think, and it's on our website in the, under appearances. I've done a bunch more uh, art, and I've done a couple of uh, additional styles. I'm still playing with things, and I'm gonna. That's one thing I'm going to do today. I'm not playing in the in the golf tournament this weekend, so I'm going to be uh, getting all the new art put on the catalog on DirtDoctor.com with the specs and the prices and all. That. Like you said, it's all for uh, raising money for torque. So anybody interested in a Dirt Doctor original, check out our website and all my new art that will be going up in the next few days. There's a bunch already on there, but I'm going to add a lot more to
2: it. Well, we'll look forward to seeing it. Um, Yeah, this is uh, good news, bad news. This is Festival of Flowers weekend down here. The bad news is when they move to this new venue, this new location, they don't really have a room suitable for – uh, for doing an organic round table so Uh-oh. we're foregoing that but it's still most everybody here is organic, uh, you know, and the vendors and all, so it's a good opportunity here and get to see some old friends and learn from a few other people out there. So it's uh it's just a just a good weekend, even if you're not playing golf, it'll be it'll be a good time to get outside and get in the garden and get all sorts of fun things done. And as always we just thank you so much for taking a little time out of your Saturday and uh Give that tree-climbing dog and that singing dog both of a big pet for us.
15: Well, they're, they're both characters. Well, I'll tell everybody I said hi, and enjoy the event. Enjoy Memorial Weekend, and uh, we'll see you next time.
2: Look forward to it, Howard. Thanks, Thank you friend. so much, and uh, have a great Memorial Day. Thanks. Howard, of course, is not only the Dirt Doctor, great organic guy, but an ex-Marine, and, of course, uh, all of you people in uniform and first responders and all. We just appreciate you. Always know that, and we are always so uh, so reverently grateful to the people who have gone before us and paved the war by way by fighting wars outside of our soil uh, here in the United States just to give us this way of life that, unfortunately, so many people take for granted. So hope you remember what it's all about this Memorial Day weekend. Mm-hmm. All right, back to gardening, back to the phone lines. It's going to be Andrea, Angie, Frank, and Anne. Andrea's first. Good morning. Good morning,
16: Bob. How are you?
2: It's uh, just going to be a wonderful weekend.
16: Good, wonderful. Hi, Bob. I have a problem with my red bud. Um, I saw a leaf uh, covered like a, it had like a little web on it, and underneath it had a lot of tiny little worms,
2: mm-hmm. white
16: what yeah. what is
2: that? It's just it's like one of the webworms. It's a caterpillar that uh, gets on trees. Doesn't seem to have anything to do with the tree health. We see them on red buds. We see them on ash trees. We see them on pecan trees. Um, is your redbud still relatively small?
16: Um, it's like about maybe nine feet, ten feet tall.
2: Okay, you have a choice. You can either just. Pick off that leaf that's covered with the little worms and dispose of it. Or you can spray. There is a, a spray called Spinosad, S-P-I-N-O-S-A-D, that is perfectly safe for people and pets. Um, I don't use it a lot because it's harmful to uh, other caterpillars that make some of our beautiful butterflies. But if you feel like you need to spray uh, especially spraying up in the air spinosad is going to be my product of choice because it does kill the caterpillars almost instantly and doesn't really hurt much of anything else but yeah if you leave them pretty soon you'll have that kind of big old tent-like web if you mm-hmm. have very many of the wasps around your home the red wasps the uh yellow jackets mm-hmm. things like that they will normally control them completely and if you ever actually have that web form take a stick or something and break it open and those wasps will fly in that's what they dine on and uh around my home I've got so many of the paper wasps I haven't seen a webworm in 15 years but uh that's what you're looking at
16: oh well all I did was cut it off you know I just yeah. cut it off and I threw it away but i was curious to know what it was
2: and just call it a webworm you you did the right thing but i don't want to see you up on a ladder having to do that so
16: (laughs) (laughs) no i just cut it off and i said nope get out of here you don't belong here
2: (laughs) you're not welcome and you don't make a pretty butterfly so into the trash can with you you did the right thing andrea
16: okay thank you so much bob you have a wonderful wonderful day
2: and you do the same. It's good to bye talk bye. to you. Thank you. Bye. All right. Uh, Angie is up next. Good morning, Angie. Good morning, Bob. Good Thank morning. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling.
8: I'm having a battle of the what I think are leaf hoppers or sharpshooters on my pumpkin patch and my cucumbers. Okay. And they're pretty much ruining the plants. <laughs> I'm so sad about it. I, I've been using orange and neem oils, but they just are very persistent.
2: Well, yeah, they. it takes a lot of them before the damage really becomes noticeable. But like everything else, if you have them, you probably have a bunch of them this spring. I do. Um, I okay. would, if it were me, and again, I'm only going to be spraying the area that these things were a problem uh, I love this new okay. uh, spinosad insecticidal soap combination. They simply call it spinosad soap. And okay. it you can actually you can buy it as a concentrate if you think you're going to need lots of it. It actually comes in a little hand sprayer ready to use. All you do is turn that little nozzle on it. And that's what I've been using against leaf-footed bugs and uh, against a bunch of other kind of problematic things very, very successfully. So I think that's the way I'm going to go after them there. They're fast enough it's hard to use the old thumb and forefinger they, method that we use yeah, on some so, other things. I
8: try to they actually attack me. They come flying at my face when I try really to spray them. Yeah. Uh. They're very fast.
2: Well, try get yourself a little spray bottle of the spinosad soap, and you okay. may not get every one of them, but you'll sure knock them down uh, to where their damage is not going to be real significant. And do feed your cucumbers. Do feed the other things you're seeing on, and uh, those plants will put on plenty of new growth that uh, should thank produce you. well for you.
10: Okay, thank you so much. Have a great oh, day. Yeah.
2: You do the same, Angie. Thanks for the call. Uh-huh. You're welcome. Goodbye. Bye. Right now, let's get back and take a couple more phone calls. Frank is up first. Good morning, Frank. Hey, good morning, Bob. How you doing? I'm great, sir. How about yourself?
10: Okay. Well, I got everything done real good around the yard, around the house, and bushes. I got one little question. I grew an avocado tree. i been in a in a planter. About I got it from a seed. Matter of fact, that we ate. And, um, it's up about a foot and a half tall now, and then the leaves are all up on the top of it, like the trunk is uh it's just bare, I believe it doesn't go all the way up like a plant sure. and so do i can I put that in the ground now it's, it hasn't done anything in the last two or three months It's just about a foot and a half tall and stays there
2: okay and and it's growing in soil, not in water right
10: yeah it's in it's in a potter a
2: pot. Okay. Well, here's the thing about the avocados that you get at the grocery store—they are—they um, are not cold hardy. They will freeze and die at you know very little below freezing. So you can certainly put them in the ground, but when we get cold weather, um, you're going to lose them unless you protect them. The second thing about avocados that you get in the grocery store is. Well, or any avocado for that matter, it takes about seven or eight or nine years for them to become fully mature where they're going to produce avocados. So, uh, if you're going to grow that avocado, you can do it, but you're going to have to protect it in the winter and you have to be real patient before you have your own, uh, before you have your own avocados to harvest and enjoy. Now, people that want to grow avocados, there are some varieties out there collectively refer to them as uh mexican avocados there's opal there's joy there's lots of different varieties of avocados out there which will take the cold weather once they uh once they get up once they get uh mature get a harder bark on them but um they, uh, those are the ones you really need to be planting. You're one that you grew from a seed. That's fun, but just be aware it's going to be a long time before it produces, and you're going to spend a lot of time covering and protecting in the winter months.
10: You know what? I didn't know it took seven or eight years to get an avocado. <laughs> I was,
2: well, uh, it's <laughs> see, the the thing is they have to reach a certain degree of maturity, and once they have reached that maturity – uh, they, you know, will produce every year for you. It's just this long initial wait, just like an animal, has to grow up to a certain degree of maturity before it can reproduce. Plants are the same way, and avocados, unfortunately, are one of the slow ones. Not quite as slow as pecans, but uh, more so than lots of other things.
10: Uh, I think at 74 years old, I think I'll go back to my tomatoes. <laughs>
2: Well, do them both, Frank. I'm counting on your being around long enough to see avocados, but uh, you know me. I just have to tell you the truth, and the good as well as the bad. But uh, anybody that's not tried growing an avocado from a seed has not had a normal childhood or adulthood. So it's a fun thing to do, and and they can produce. There was one down at the old San Antonio Craft Center downtown for years. It was 15, 18 feet tall. It was in a really protected area, and it produced plenty of avocado. So it can be done, but it's a little more work than growing your tomatoes.
10: Okay. All right,
2: Bob. Well, thanks a lot. You're sure welcome. I appreciate yeah, the call. Happy And same to you, Frank. Have a wonderful Memorial Day. I will finish up calls today with Ann. Good morning, Ann.
17: Uh, good morning. I um, have an ongoing problem with a uh, ficus benjamina with uh, that sticky residue from uh, the insect poop. And yeah. I don't know. When it was smaller, we'd get it outside and really get after it, but now I don't think we can get it out out the door. So uh, what can we do to get that, whatever it is, under control?
2: you've either got mealybugs or scale on it, and you can control those, the two best products that you can use inside your home safely, uh Neem oil will work very well. Neem oil stinks a little bit, so you're going to want to go shopping for an hour or so after you spray your tree. And you need to be sure that your neem oil is very fresh. It only keeps about six months once it's been opened. So, But neem is a, a very good, very safe product that will take care of both scale and mealybugs. The other is this product which is called Spinosad Soap. And I guess um, the only negative to that is you really have to do a good job of coating uh, the plant thoroughly you're probably even though you can't get it outside you're probably gonna tip that plant over put down you know a piece of plastic or something so if any soil spills out it doesn't make such a mess but then you need to go over that plant and try to hit the top of the leaves the back of the leaves everywhere you have either the scale or the mealy bug because that's the only way you're going to get rid of that sticky excrement on there And you'll have a much healthier plant as a result.
17: How much uh, uh, low temperature would it take if we could get it uh, outside and leave it there?
2: Well, ficus benjamina is real sensitive. At 32 degrees, it suffers. There are some other ficuses like uh, retusa, ficus nitida. These take a little bit more cold, but uh, ficus benjamina will not take any cold at all. So it's going to have to come in any time there's a threat of frost.
17: Also, that's... Thank you, that sounds like we have our work cut out for us. How about, we have a lot, some new geraniums that are just going gangbusters, but they're full of holes. I don't know if it was, uh, from this rough weather wind and stuff, but they really look bad. And we can't uh-huh. see any bugs or anything. Uh, I think used BT on it. But, well.
2: Uh, BT is only effective against caterpillars. Um, go out at night with a flashlight. I'm more suspicious of pill bugs as being the cause. You can control those if you want to with something called O Plus. Enjoy your geraniums because when it gets really hot, the geraniums are, are not going to do as well. Geraniums are beautiful in the spring. They're beautiful in the fall. But uh, don't blame yourself. Don't blame the bugs when the heat hits and they don't look as good. Kind of kind nurse them through the summer, and they'll be gorgeous again in the fall. Uh, I Like to say, I suspect the holes in your leaves are probably pill bugs, and this uh, very safe product called uh, uh, Sluggo, S-L-U-G-G-O, Sluggo Plus, will take care of snail slugs and pill bugs, and I think uh, you'll find it's one of those that's putting the holes in your leaves.
17: Thank you so much. It's great to hear from Thank
2: you. Well, it's my pleasure. Anything else I can help you with today?
17: I think this that's enough. Thank you.
2: <laughs> okay. We'll get out and enjoy your Memorial Day weekend.